0: Welcome to Voices in Local Government, an ICMA podcast. My name is Joe Superville, and with us today to share a real-world local government success story on civic matchmaking between highly skilled retired baby boomers and matching them with meaningful local projects are the co-founders of the Give5 program, Greg Burris and Cora Scott. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks. So Greg Burris, president and CEO of the United Way of the Ozarks and previous city manager of Springfield, Missouri from 2008 to 2018. Long time in service of the local government, and then you kind of transitioned over to the United Way, which is part of the Give Five story we'll get to. Um, an interesting note on Greg is you were, you pole vaulted for uh, your high school that neither had a pole nor a pit. <laughs> so uh, many... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, explains a lot, uh, many obvious follow-ups, but I actually think it's more interesting to leave it a mystery, so we're not even going to clarify for that That's for good the call. audience. Yeah.
1: That's a good call, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and Cora Scott, Director of Public Information and Civic Engagement for the city of Springfield, Missouri, so still active. Uh, you two were formerly co-workers and still working together on this project. That's um, right. Cora also runs the birthplace of the Route 66 Festival, which has grown in attendance from... Four thousand all the way up to sixty five thousand, which are amazing numbers just in five years yes, cars are obviously one part of that festival there, so favorite car
1: um it's this is very specific a nineteen sixty six corvette convertible red with white panels
0: hard to nice. argue with that
1: <laughs> I've never owned one, but maybe someday
2: mine's a fifty five Chevy pickup because that was
0: my first
1: vehicle
2: nice.
0: that I owned cool. So Give Five program, Greg or Cora, go ahead and just give us give us the basics. Give us the origin story.
2: When I was at the city and working with Cora, uh, we were reading a book called The Next America. And this book is just chock full of data and trends, and I highly recommend it. But we started thinking about, um, you know, could we create a program at the city of Springfield that would address multiple trends at the same time? So we identified some macro trends, and these are trends that, you know, where things change slowly over multiple years. And we picked five in the end that we wanted to to try and address. That is not where the name comes from. But uh, we picked five macro trends, and they were some of the trends you're, you're probably aware of, like 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day for 19 years. And we're about halfway into that wave right now. So uh, if you think you've seen a lot of baby boomers retire recently, you ain't seen nothing yet because we're not done. Uh, second macro trend is this idea that the, one of the largest health risks for that population is not cancer. It's not heart disease. It's social isolation and loneliness. Even re- even pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah. Pre-pandemic. yeah. And
2: think about how that's been that's exacerbated during the pandemic. So we we all got a little taste of that during the pandemic. So imagine going through that on a regular basis. The third trend was the idea that maybe our communities are seeing less empathy than we have seen in the past, and we need to build social capital, both bridging social capital and bonding social capital. And nothing does that like bringing people together for a shared experience. The fourth trend is that with the labor curve inverting back in 2018. We saw this coming, and we knew that nonprofits were going to struggle a little bit with trying to attract and retain labor and talent. And it's difficult sometimes for nonprofits to compete with the for-profit world, as we know from local government as well. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to compete for talent. And so I think nonprofits over the next 15 to 20 years are going to rely more and more on volunteerism. And then the final one is this uh, these macro trends that the largest transfer of wealth and knowledge in the history of the world is already underway. And we don't stop and think about that macro trend that, uh, wow, there, there is wealth that's changing hands. But there's also this transfer of knowledge and it's in our DNA. We want to be storytellers. We want to pass on uh, knowledge and we want to mentor people. And so those are the five macro trends that we thought, well, let's, let's try and impact all five of
0: those with one program. Right from the beginning, let's get to one of the biggest questions, no matter what the program is, which is budgeting. Uh, you too know from firsthand, budget's tough for local government. It's always a question of who's going to pay, how, how's it going to get paid for. So apply that to this program. Um, for those listening out there that might want to implement something similar or even potentially license this program, which we'll get into, how is it paid? No host organization and no host community has had to pay for it yet
2: because we've always been able to find a presenting sponsor. They have covered the cost of the license, the implementation cost. And then, for example, at the United Way where I work, we don't pay a dime for even the operation because we have operational sponsors within the community that love the program. And Cora will talk later about how it generates so much good news. But people love being associated with it, so they want their name associated with it, which means it's easier to get operational sponsors. So, as an example, we don't pay a dime to run the Give Five program because the presenting sponsor and operational sponsors cover the cost.
1: Yeah, it, it is so attractive to sponsors twofold. One, it's the target demo of the the age group that they that a lot of um, businesses want to um, want to speak with. But um, it, Greg's right; it's just like a media darling. Um, There's just so many good stories that come out of it because these are people who have given their whole lives to careers who are now seeking um, meaningful volunteer opportunities and they're plugging in with institutions that are addressing our biggest challenges. And so they're getting out there in the community, making a difference. They're becoming well known. We call them gift fivers" because they become so sought after for their skills and expertise, not just their time um, that people know them. So um, like Greg said, um, companies are just wanting to be associated with that feel good um, aspect of the program.
2: And you heard Cora emphasize the word meaningful, meaningful volunteer opportunity. So this is not just stuffing envelopes or answering the phone or filing some papers.
0: These are different types of volunteer opportunities than that. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Civic matchmaking is what we said earlier. So it's it's not simply the volunteer your time and help out a little bit. It's you said earlier, too, the baby boomer is retiring, but you have this set of skills, whether it's in marketing or operations, logistics, you name it. People don't necessarily want to do the daily grind anymore, but they want to keep applying that knowledge and share that knowledge with others and teach others. So how does the program kind of sort that out or track it where you, with the individual signing up themselves or the organizations who need people, how does give five actually pull off that matchmaking it's romance
1: yep it's, it's
0: a it's a dating <laughs>
1: app <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. whoops. <laughs> we uh
2: we we designed it in such a way that to really kind of play on that same idea of dating apps or other kinds of applications that um, match people up based on the way they answer certain questions This is more personal than that. So this is not a computer app
1: and in person on the phone,
2: but it does take into account the skills the individual participant has and the needs of the nonprofit.
1: Yeah. you, You can create classes of about 20 to 25 people per class and they come together for five program days spread out over five weeks. And the first part of the class is learning about your their community. And in Springfield, we focus on poverty because that's one of our biggest community challenges. So we show them heat maps and indicate where some of our challenges are from everything from low birth weight babies to food access um, issues to um, low median household income. And they learn about the community and they understand the context in which the nonprofits work. Then they get on a bus together and they literally go visit nonprofits. So on the first day, they'll visit three on subsequent days they visit five and it's really quick, like speed dating, like Greg said, 45 minutes per nonprofit, but they get to peek behind the curtain. And people really want to see what's going on behind the scenes and how these nonprofits, and in some cases, government departments, like we visited the police department and, and you know, our participants were fascinated about that. Um, but they're learning about what what's the mission of those organizations, and then more importantly, how can they contribute? How can they plug in? And is there a match? So that's where the match comes in. They're trying to figure out where they fit in and the nonprofits or the, the government entities are trying to sell sell their um, agency on the opportunities they have for the, for those skill sets.
0: Yeah, can you expand a little bit on why that's important? Because it's one thing to get a volunteer in the door one time, but I think matching maybe leads to a longer term relationship. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, once you touch their heart, Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the key is, is
2: if you touch my heart and I learn enough about um, a nonprofit or a, a, the issue they're trying to address in the community, I'm not going to just come and volunteer for one day. I will probably come back. And research has shown that when we do it this way, the volunteerism is sticky.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They come back and the, and the research report and and Cora can talk about the, the report that we had done by a local university. But the report shows that a lot of the people volunteer and continue to volunteer because it is a good fit.
1: Yeah, even, you know, a year and a year and a half after they complete, um, they're still participating and they're still volunteering, not just at one or two agencies, but sometimes three, four, and even one lady said five. We don't recommend that. That's a bit overkill. (laughs) But they they, they really do stick around. And they report back to us that essentially they feel more connected to the community. They feel a sense of ownership. And I can't tell you how helpful that is as the director of civic engagement to have a cadre of people. And now we have over 200 Give5 alums in Springfield that are at the ready for anything that comes up. And they've already done that a few times in just the short time we've been doing Give5.
0: And we'll cover a few more of the goals. Can you let's backtrack just a little bit? How did the program... Kind of shift from City of Springfield's um, run and operated to the United Way's. I think that was part of Greg's transition. Out,
2: just decided to retire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For eight days, he decided to retire. I
2: did. I retired, and eight days later, I started at
0: United Way. Well, are,
2: that's how it happened.
0: And you're one of those examples of you. You retired, but you weren't ready to just go sit on the beach somewhere forever. You wanted to keep the leadership skills you had as a city manager and apply them, apply them elsewhere. So that led you to the United way. And that's how the program kind of shifted over. Um,
2: Yeah. So, you know, we think of retirement as a
0: destination.
2: Oh, I got to get to retirement. And if we're not prepared for retirement, I will tell you that when you get to retirement, it's weird because they take away your, your name badge or your key, and they turn your email off, and the silence can be deafening. We have a lot of nurses. We have a lot of school teachers that go through the program. And I think the reason the program is appealing to those people, CEOs, engineers, bankers, doesn't matter, is they're used to having a lot of a lot going on in their world. They're used to being engaged all day. And when you go sit at home on the couch and watch TV, it's weird, and you lose that sense of purpose and so we call the program couch repellent because it gets people up off the couch and, and back engaged in the community. And so, you know, instead of going and sitting on my front porch with a rocking chair and a blanket on my lap and yelling at kids to get off my lawn, I'm not ready to do that. Very specific. So, <laughs> <laughs> while, I, uh, while I did retire from that job, I wanted to continue to be engaged in the community. So I'm a good example of that. But what about when I'm ready to stop working full time and maybe just volunteer and engage somewhere? Well, I have the sort of the the, the benefit of having been a city manager. And so I know a lot of opportunities. Most people do not have that opportunity. They don't know what's available out there. And this teaches them what's on the menu.
1: And, and the transition worked well because the cities has stayed very involved. And, and to be honest, we reap a lot of the benefits yeah. um, because- the mayor um, still um, welcomes each class. He's our commencement speaker. He's very supportive of the program. The participants feel special because the mayor is involved. Um, some of our city departments are the nonprofits that they that um, we visit. And then one of the neatest things of all is when, you know, I do presentations to the class about the issues facing the city and recruit people to be parts of boards and commissions. And that's so important. We're having trouble getting people um willing to serve on these boards and commissions that don't have an axe to grind (laughs) so for instance they just want to be a contributing member to our community and they're not trying to get on a specific board for an ulterior motive my goal is for some of these good fibers to um, eventually become council members and and run for mayor because they they become so invested in understanding the community
0: yeah that's part of the education process
2: Yes. I think this is really important because most communities that I've talked to when I was city manager and would go to uh, ICMA or go to other conferences, you know, everybody was having the same challenge and that is who are the people that who are are attracted to serving in a lot of these volunteer leadership roles? Well they are the people who are angry. They you know, I'm getting on yes. planning and zoning because something didn't go my way and by god I'm getting on planning and zoning and I'm going to change things. Well, that may not be the person you want on planning and zoning. You want somebody who's going to be a little more uh, fair, and maybe like, like, course, it doesn't have that axe to grind.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the audience is probably silently nodding right now. And <laughs> we hear, hear from these people once there's a big problem, and they're going to force a change that way. Earlier, we talked about that, trying to decrease the social isolation. I think it's pretty self evident how this program does that getting out and about in front of people. But even within those initial groups who go through the process together, they're able to meet each other, maybe make some new friends and just have connections and even in a more diverse way than maybe would happen in just day-to-day life.
2: I would tell you that as city manager, um, it was almost embarrassing how little I knew about the level of social isolation in my own community. Mm. Because you think about it, social isolation is by its very nature, it's hidden, and you don't realize it until you, you know, I had even people who I worked with at, at the university prior to being city manager who were retired and then isolating. I had no idea they were isolating because they just kind of drop off the face of the earth. You don't hear from them and it's easy to forget. And that's unfortunate. We've heard story after story of people who would literally say this program saved my life. Yeah, that's that's a powerful statement. And mm-hmm. it, we were taken aback by it. But Cora can tell you about groups that continue to meet.
1: Yeah, we have we do reunions with our classmates, but also um, like the ladies of class four. Sounds very, very interesting. Um, They get together for lunch and they catch up. And sometimes they'll, they'll call me and ask me about a development deal they've heard about or a zoning issue that they don't think that their friends have quite the accurate information and they become ambassadors for the city. They're literally on social media defending the city, or at least tagging me or the city, asking, "Is this right? This doesn't sound quite right." So that was kind of a positive unintended consequence of the get Five program is creating this um, this group of ambassadors that um, are, are you know dedicated to getting accurate information out. Now, if they have an issue with something the city's doing, they're going to bring that up, but it's going to get a fair shake. It's going to be accurate um, and not disinformation, which is helpful.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of engagement you want. It's not, yes. even if it's not always positive, people asking questions and caring is what local government really is striving for.
1: Absolutely. We've also had groups come together in emergency situations. For instance, when we um, first hit the pandemic, we wanted to stand up a public information call center. And guess who were the first volunteers in the public information call center? The Give Fiver's. Because I literally could query my database of GIVE-5 grads and find the ones who had call center experience or government experience, or more importantly, medical experience, um, who could at least get the calls to the right place. Later, when we got our vaccines, I had our Green County Medical Society calling me saying, what's this GIVE-5 program you have, and can they help us with vaccinations? And within 24 hours, we had 20 people with medical experience willing to put shots in arms. Those are just a couple of examples of the powerful nature of having this skilled set of ambassadors at the ready.
2: I went to a mass vaccination
0: clinic, and a give five or gave me my vaccination. So that's that was a perfect example. Answering my next question, which was <laughs> going back to how is this program helping solve the community's most critical issues? What else was on the top of Springfield's list that this program wasn't just theoretical? They put some people in place, and it actually produced real results the number
2: one thing that we were trying to do was move the needle on poverty. So that was top of mind at the time that we created this. And when we work with communities, uh, and we'll use Springfield as an example, the nonprofits that you select to participate in the program, that's how you're going to move the needle. Because you're going to essentially be throwing hundreds and hundreds of talented people at something. When we work with communities, we start to work with them about what is the thing in your community that is, you know, that you really want to change, that you want to really move the needle on. And and for us, it was poverty. And so all 23 nonprofits, and we actually have a stable of more than 23 nonprofits. So they kind of cycle in and out, but all 23 nonprofits that a class will visit are all moving the needle in some way on poverty, some upstream, some safety net, other ways, but they're all associated with the the massive move to try and impl- or, uh, influence poverty in our community.
1: It also brings people together for civil dialogue. That was one of the goals of the program too: is to bring unify people rather than always be divisive. And so um, we saw that time and time again: people who may not have always kind of had the same philosophies at least learn from one another.
0: So civic engagement, and we've talked about needing more open dialogue in local government and hearing people out. So going back to that getting people together where it's whether it's on the bus going to the next potential nonprofit or just in the office learning about the program. Do you have any real examples of different people kind of making that connection and really getting something out of it? Yeah, we we say that they learn as much from each other as
2: they do from the program and I think that's probably true. Uh, it's an apolitical program so we tell them right up front on the first day this is not politics but we will ask you to get into some some kind of meaty issues and have discussion but be civil about it we had something happen in the very first class this goes back a few years uh, but in the class on the first day we asked people to stand up and introduce themselves they answer a standard set of introductory questions and one guy don introduced himself and then he added at the end just so you know, I'm just to the right of Attila the Hun. So we, again, we didn't ask his political affiliation. He just volunteered that. On the third program day, we were out visiting our domestic abuse shelter. And the class that was gathered around a large conference table had just heard a presentation and they were getting up from the table to go on a tour of the facility. And Ira, who was also in the class, who was a retired nurse, came over to Don and leaned over and said, are you the guy on the first program day who said, I'm just to the right of Attila the Hun? And Don leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms and said, well, yes, I am. And Ira leaned in even closer and said, well, I'm just to the left of Bernie. <laughs> I was standing about four feet from this conversation thinking, okay, we're going to have our first fist fight on the very first class. <laughs> this is interesting. Of give Five. But instead, they both laughed. And they got up and they walked on the rest of that tour together. On days four and five, they rode the bus together. They sat next to each other at lunch. And after they graduated, they volunteered together and they became Facebook friends. So to your point, Joe, if they had met on social media, would any of that have happened? No. No. Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't think so that. this is the value of, of the, the shared experience, the real life experience. And as corny as it sounds when we say, you know, we're more like than different, turns out that that's true. And when you have a shared interest in your community and making your community better, what you find is, wow, maybe we really are more aligned on some of these things. And it really does create social capital, build social capital. It weaves the community together more tightly.
0: And they, they started off, regardless of those left-right leanings, they started off from a point where, of respect, where they, they could recognize the other person was there to help the community to volunteer their time, to lend their expertise. So it was, it was already that positive interaction that just grew from there. So, Absolutely right. so it can happen, and that's what local government can make happen. Mm-hmm. Um, one other question that I think a lot of the audience might be thinking of is, Aside from the, the budget concerns, which I think we've addressed that this is really feasible through sponsorship is how are you all measuring success? If, if we're trying to think of doing something similar in another jurisdiction, how do we know if it's working? Because a, a lot of these might be a little antidotal or the story worked out well, or this organization got some volunteers, but what are the, I hate to say metrics, but what are some measurable outcomes to prove the success on this type of model? We actually had two retired researchers approach
2: us. And this was about halfway through. I mean, we were more than a year into the program. And they one of them had actually been through the program. One was the retired head of the gerontology program at Missouri State University. The other was a retired dean at Missouri State University. And they said, we're both retired. We're both bored. And we both want to do some research. <laughs> so they decided their Give 5 uh, project would be to do a research project and give five. So your question is a good one, Joe. So how do you know whether it works? They went back and looked at the first five classes. So only the first five classes, because it had been a while since the first five classes had graduated. and They wanted to see, does this work? Is it sticky? And what they found after looking at the first five classes were a number of things. One, 80% of those who were volunteering because of the give five program were still volunteering after a year in that particular volunteer, that nonprofit. The second thing was that the impact, the fiscal impact on the community of just the first year of volunteerism of those first five classes was more than $300,000. That's $300,000 of value they were adding back into the community. And that was just the first five classes in one year. The other thing it found they found was that it moved the needle, it, it actually improved empathy, levels of trust in government, mm-hmm. their ownership, their sense of ownership and responsibility of the community. All those things went way up because of the program. And I would argue if you can find anything that increases trust, empathy, and ownership, grab it. So we are we feel like the program is working in Springfield, like Cora said earlier. They have a reputation. Give Fivers have a reputation in our community.
0: Well, hard to argue with the results and also the potential of zero on the budget coming out of uh, the local government side of things. So, Cora and Greg, thanks for your time today. We're going to have a second segment that actually gets into the details on how you, other locations can license this program. I know there have been a few successful examples already, and reiterate that no cost to them. There are sponsors out there that will. for not only the program, but the operation side of it. So look out for part two for the ICMA audience. In the meantime, check out Give5Program.org, at Give5Program on Twitter, or Corey and Greg have been so kind as to offer their knowledge, going back to the transfer of knowledge, um, their time and knowledge to help answer questions or just talk to anyone in local government one-on-one about this topic in general or the Give5 program specifically. And you can reach them at an email, give five, number five, give five at uwozarks.com. So thanks again, Cora, Greg, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you, you so
1: much.